Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Ajax delivery. Gendouzi's header. Here's an opportunity. Sanchez. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. And Goldberg. Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Le Bourgeois, the official Ligue 1 podcast. And I'm pleased to say, while certain of our regular contributors have requested to be rested just days out from the start of the World Cup, I'm pleased to say that not only did MNM turn out for PSG, but we too have started with a very competitive squad to break down another big weekend of Ligue 1 action. PSG have made it through to the break undefeated and Lens must have wanted just to keep on playing on the back of five straight wins. At the other end of the table, the break couldn't have come quickly enough for poor old Angers after seven losses on the trot. To unpack all that and more with myself, Robbie Thompson, we have Monaco Life's Luke Entwistle joining us. Luke, how are you going? Morning. All good over here. Like you said, some of the regulars have been rested, but like Carlos Soler, you know, we can step in and, uh, and still do the job today. Absolutely. And, you know, the, where opportunity beckons, you know, someone might forever regret this decision of saying just, I've got to keep my powder dry for the World Cup and not show up on, on Le Bourgeois. We've got CBS's French football expert, Jonathan Johnson, as well. How are you doing, JJ? Hey there, guys. Great to be back on with you. Doing well, thanks. And uh, nice to uh, nice to finally get to Luke, meet Luke in the first time. Absolutely. So don't forget to like us, don't forget to subscribe, to give us that five-star rating, and we also love to hear from you as well. We're on Twitter at Ligue 1 World. There's the official Ligue 1 underscore English Twitter handle as well for all things Ligue 1. And you can email us directly and ask us questions or just let us know what you're thinking about the French like Alex and Davor and others regularly do and have done again this weekend. We'd love to hear from you. You can get involved at League One Podcast at gmail.com. Well, let's start with all the action that started on Friday night Olympic Lyonnais versus OGC Nice. It was the 35 year celebration of the Nice supporters, Les Bad Gun, or the Bad Boys in the local Lyon dialect. And Karim Benzema was there to show off his golden ball, the Ballon d'Or. And, uh, Go back and salute the fans from where it all began. On commentary for this one was our very own Andreas Evagora. Nicola Pepe against Diamande. Clever ball in. It was a fast one in. And here's a real chance. It's come to the board. Pepe, was that a handball? No, says the referee. VAR will have a look at it. Nicola Pepe seemed absolutely certain that it came off an arm. The decision from Eric Vitalier. It's going to come up quickly. And it's a penalty. Pepe hesitates, and it's a great save. Anthony Lopez has pulled off a super save in front of his own fans. Well, what's going on here? It's going to be taken again. Well, real controversy here now, because Eric Vitalier has clearly seen that Lopez was off his line. And there, well, you have to say, he has a point. This time, Pepe does the job. He put it the other way. There was too much power on it. Uh, the second attempt, Nicola Pepe has a crucial penalty and his fourth goal of the season. Nicola Pepe. Pepe has won tonight and he's nearly got a second. Swung in and he was not far at all on the counter-attack. Pepe had a couple of options cut inside and just uh, overcooked that a little bit, but he wasn't far from another one, Nicola Pepe. And Leon warned. Hour. Hour. Drive his way through. Shot from Tagliafico. It's hit the post and cleared by Dante. Well, it got a huge deflection, but it's the closest Leon have come so far. Dante clears his lines off the wrong right foot. Took a huge deflection. Schmeichel beaten. The great work from Dante. Attal loses out. Cherky. Still Cherky, Lacazette, a chance for Cherky. Lacazette, still Lacazette, is it a penalty? Yes, I think Lyon have the penalty. Dante doesn't like it. But Eric Vitalier 
is waving the Nice players away and it looks like Leon have a penalty. No doubt VAR will have a look at it. Cherky with the ball back. Was there a little push there? Lacazette scores and relief for Lyon in front of their fans celebrating the 35th anniversary of the bad gone, the supporters club, and they will love that. And Laurent Blanc, relief. They will feel they deserve a draw. Lacazette has his goal and it's one all. So JJ, we'll go to you first. This was a, a story of two penalties and um, the first one against Taliafico. Probably just about we've seen them given it enough. What did you think about the second one on uh, Jean-Claire Toribo, who's had a rough run in between Europe and, and the league? I think he's got the fastest red card uh, this season after just nine seconds earlier in the campaign, and he got another one here. Yeah, he has. I mean, it's been really, uh, you know, it's been kind of swings and roundabouts for him. You know, he got a lot of, uh, uh, you know, negatives uh, and then mixed in with a couple of positives because I saw that he extended his contract uh, officially over the weekend with uh, with Nice as well. But yeah, I mean, it's it, it's one of those where I mean, you've seen them given, but, you know, you've also seen them uh, not given. Um, obviously, it's a shame that we only got to see, you know, two goals from the penalty spot in this one. Uh, you know, Pepe is obviously retaken as well. But, uh, you know, I think you know, there there was that sort of feeling of, uh, of of relief for Leon, you know, to avoid that defeat just right at the end there, you know, just before the World Cup break, uh, you know, and, and Lacazette, you know, continues, whether it's from the penalty spot or otherwise, you know, to, to, to find the back of the net. And I think, you know, the break also comes at a good time for Leon now, obviously with the managerial change, bringing in Laurent Blanc, uh, you know, he's still trying to get his feet under the table at Group Armour Stadium. So, I think that this, I'm curious to see if we see a different Leon the other side of the break, but the same goes for, for Nice as well, because, you know, there's been a lot of speculation, you know, since very early in the season, really, that we might see Lucien Favre uh, replaced. Obviously, Nice making a lot of changes, uh, you know, behind the scenes. And, you know, for guys like Toddy Bro, there's no doubt that they will look to build around him, whether Favre is the coach or whether they go for somebody else. But I think now is the moment where, you know, they can really look at things and, and make, you know, some difficult decisions if they if they need to, because despite the fact that their form has started to pick up in recent weeks, it's perhaps not where they expected to be uh, at this World Cup break. Look, about, about that at the back and Jean-Claude Todibo, I, I want to have a talk about goalkeepers and penalties as well. But but Todibo, I mean, he had that season with Saliba at the back and they were both on loan and it was always going to be hard to hold on to William Saliba. But but Todibo is a great get for this knee side and to already have, have got him on permanently a year and a half ago and now to have him re-sign, that does all bode well for the future, doesn't it? And what news have you got for us on the latest on Lucien Favre? Yeah, I mean, I was really surprised by the contract renewal quite frankly, I thought that that would not happen. Um, I think he'll still get a lot of interest. I'm not sure what it tangibly changes regarding his future. But I think it's all quite linked in. You know, we're talking about Favre, but we're also talking about the club's ownership. And what we've seen over the past week is a statement once again, or maybe the first time we could say a statement from Ineos really committing to the Nice project um, after saying that they weren't interested or a spokesperson of Ineos saying that they weren't interested in buying out Liverpool. And they said they want to build a team over the course of two years who can compete with PSG. So that, that's some ambition. And that could convince Debo that, you know what, this is the right project for the long term for me. Um, regarding Favre, it's an interesting one because that was, it was such an awful, awful start. According to Nice Matin down in, down in the south of France, they were inclined to let him go during this break. But he's obviously very loved by the fans. Uh, they've been on a good run. I did a, an interview with Dante, actually, the other centre-back in that partnership last week. And he sp spoke quite glowingly of, of Favre. And he, he was saying, you know, we're, we're on such a, a good, we've got such a good momentum at the minute. This break's coming at really the wrong time. So there is a feeling at Nice that that's, that awful start to the season has been turned around. It's just whether it's going to be enough to convince the clearly revitalised and extremely ambitious owners that he's the man to take them forward. JJ, when you're building a project like this, and we know that Ineos and Radcliffe, they, there was talk of, of Manchester United, there was talk of Chelsea, Liverpool. I mean, are they are they really on the lookout for another big club? And is that bad news? Because we've seen Lausanne Sport have, have not necessarily come on in leaps and bounds and been the, the great Swiss club that they certainly would have hoped for at the start. Nice have had 
investment recently as well that hasn't worked out with the Chinese investors. We've seen we've seen a lot of foreign investment come into French football. Bordeaux hasn't worked out necessarily. I mean, well, it certainly didn't have an immediate impact. Um, Lille as well is another one that's been struggling financially. I mean, Paris are the model. What what whatever way you want to look at it, and however way you want to look at it, in terms of they just it wasn't really investment, but a state taking over and being able to in, invest with bottomless pockets. But but is this project viable for Nice, and do you think it's got legs? I mean, I think in terms of uh, you know backers, uh, you know Nice probably have uh, you know some of the deepest pockets in the game at this moment in time with uh, with Ineos. I mean, I find it difficult to to identify too many other clubs who can, well, certainly not uh, in France, you know, who can benefit from such strong backing. So I do think that the potential is there for them to build up. I mean, I always think it's a little bit naive to hear these people when they come in, uh, you know really talking big trying to claim you know that they will try to create a project that's going to run psg close i think pretty much any other project in in france outside of psg probably has to accept that they're fighting to be the best of the rest uh you know in the in the best case scenario you know we've seen tech store as well and that you know sort of dragged out uh takeover at leon uh you know talking quite similarly as well I mean, I, I hope that, that what we heard from Ineos recently is uh, is accurate and they won't try and make a run at Liverpool. But you do have to wonder if their, you know, dalliances with Chelsea and then Manchester United have kind of taught them not to, uh, you know, get their fingers burned too, too early by speaking prematurely. Uh, you know, I... I'm still waiting to see, uh, you know, the the sort of tangible evidence that they're really going to push, uh, you know, Nissan um, and not, you know, bide their time and wait and see if there's an opening perhaps to go for a Liverpool, because I do think that it is, uh, you know, it's not by coincidence that they've gone for two of the big Premier League clubs that have first gone on the market straight away. Uh, and, you know, we will wait and see how that situation with Liverpool plays out. It certainly doesn't seem like it's going to be an immediate uh, solution, but if Ineos, uh, you know, are good to their word and do want to build uh, a squad that is capable of, you know, trying to run PSG close at the at the top of Ligue 1 and compete, you know, I think that the ingredients are certainly all there. And okay, maybe not finishing second to PSG, but certainly getting back into the reckoning for the Champions League, that must be an ambition uh, for Nice because it's already, you know, a pretty good squad there, a nice mix of youth and experience, uh, you know, and I do feel like that decision. Uh, over Fav's future, whether uh, they they choose to to stick or stick with him or twist, uh, you know that could really have potentially big ramifications for the remainder of the season for them. Well, look, we saw Monaco do it, didn't we, back in 2017 with with big investment, the, and then Lille as well, where it was like a perfect storm of things that came together with a, a defensive coach that didn't concede goals, a talismanic Turkish hitman that that couldn't miss. You know all the all the things that came together for for Lil, but but Monaco did it. Monaco invested heavily. They invested cleverly, but then they sold everyone. They made a fortune. I mean, that's the way. That's one way to do it, I guess. It's it's the the key is to build a legacy that can go on and compete with PSG for more than just one season. Because Monaco and Lil both showed that they weren't capable of doing that, at least. I mean, yeah, that that's the issue. There's a feeling at PSG that there's a there's a slight sense of permanence that so long as there is success at the club, people won't look elsewhere. Whereas when you're talking about other league and clubs like your Monaco's, your Leals, etc., if there is a good season, there'll just be a, a wholesale. You know, everyone or everyone who performed well during that season will go elsewhere. And I think that's that's where the difference lies: is that PSG, because of their stature and, and because um, of their investment as well, and this kind of idea that. Yeah, even if you have a bad year, it's all right because next year we'll win the league. I think they can just retain the players and just keep that momentum going. Whereas anyone else who does well, if they have a good season, they're kind of looking over the shoulder thinking who's going to nick all of our players the next season. And and that's a difficult thing. And um, mm. it, it goes beyond just PSG and, and a couple of clubs. It's all about you know the league itself and the strength of the league itself. And, and so long as that continues to strengthen, then it, it will become easier theoretically. And, and I'd hope that other teams to challenge PSG supremacy because it's what we all want to see. Um, but I, I think the league as a whole, rather than just kind of club by club, needs to needs to grow to to an extent to to accommodate that kind of level of competition and that level of investment. Okay, it's time for me to bring back something we haven't heard uh, too often recently, which is the coup de gueule. C'est mon coup de gueule. 
This is where we get something off our chest. And it, it's just occurred to me, really, but and I, I'm not Anthony Lopez's biggest fan. I've got nothing against Anthony Lopez, but but sometimes he's a bit kamikaze coming off his line and, and taking people out and can do serious damage. I like the fact that, you know, he that he's Leon through and through. I like the fact that a, a few years ago on a Coupe de France shirt, he crossed out Saint-Étienne's name everywhere that was printed in the numbers of previous winners that they had to wear on the back of their shirt and he got a he got a marker and crossed out Saint-Étienne everywhere it appeared on his on his jersey for Olympic Lyonnais but I felt sorry for him on the weekend with that first penalty save from Nicola Pepe because yes he takes half a foot off his line but he makes a great save and really the the rules are so stacked against goalkeepers now I mean if you can make a penalty save even if you've stepped forward half a meter, a meter, it's still a great save. It still should stand. Come on, referees. I know there has to be some sort of rule in place where you can say, look, you're not allowed off your line, but it's okay. What do you guys think? I mean, should we advocate for those American style penalties where you kind of run in from the halfway line and the king keeper can kind of do what he wants? That'd be quite fun. Yeah, exactly. But- he can do whatever he wants. Well, I don't know. There's kind of a bit of a larger debate about penalties and because obviously that penalty that was given, I had the impression that that outstretched arm, that ball was going miles away. Um, it wasn't going anywhere near the goal. And obviously it goes from a position where a ball was going out, the zero threat to, as you say, a huge chance of the striker scoring a goal or whoever's taking the penalty scoring the goal. And it's really stacked against the goalkeeper, especially now you've got VAR that can see if you're off the line. I think there's so many occasions if pre-VAR that, the keeper almost always steps off the line slightly, but so long as it wasn't detectable, you kind of got away with it. You don't get away with it anyhow. Um, but yeah, there is this thing about penalties of it's so stacked against the goalkeeper. And in many occasions when a penalty is given, there were quite a few given this weekend, they were all very, very low risk for the defending side. It didn't look like there was an imminent goal. And uh, suddenly it goes from that kind of scenario to it's on the spot and you're almost certain to tuck it away. So. Yeah, a little bit of sympathy sometimes with the defending sides. And, uh, yeah, maybe you rethink somewhere down the line about the penalty and, and how it's actually implemented. JJ, you work for the Americans. What? What? what you must have some <laughs> great new plan for us. <laughs> I mean, on, honestly, honestly, the amount of times that those uh, that those penalty videos of people running from the halfway line and either trying to take it around the goalkeeper or, or fire it past them, that does crop up from time to time. Uh, you know, I do think I do think that there is, uh, you know, a sense that you know the the penalty situation and some of the decisions you know given against teams, uh, you know, it does put the goalkeeper in a situation where the odds are stacked against them. But there are still modern examples of you know goalkeepers who almost make a specialization out of being you know penalty kings. You know, Mike Mignon, who won't be going to the World Cup with uh, with France, but you know we enjoyed him as part of uh, Lille's uh, Ligue 1 winning team a couple of years ago. He is one of those goalkeepers. So I think his ratio is nearly sort of, uh, you know, half penalties faced that he's saved. So there are ways, you know, for goalkeepers to sort of perfect, uh, you know, that art, especially somebody whose reflexes are as sharp as uh, Anthony Lopez. But, you know, I do think that goalkeepers definitely, uh, you know, are at a, at a disadvantage where they're almost forced to be rooted to the the spot literally right up until the until the kick is taken. I mean, unfortunately, it's kind of part of a wider debate as well in the French game about refereeing in general, which, uh, you know, does sort of leave a, leave a lot to be desired. You know, this sort of thing obviously, you know, doesn't help with that. You know, I know there's a lot of criticism uh, at the moment being uh, being being headed towards the 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 refereeing committee um and i definitely think there needs to be some rethinks on the way that the the game is officiated and and sort of what france are doing to ensure that you know it is uh you know as as fair as can possibly be and there is some sort of flexibility you know within reason uh you know in situations like these because it was extremely unlucky on on lopez like you i'm not his biggest biggest fan but you know he's not a he's not a bad goalkeeper either i do feel like he is a very um <clears throat> reflex based uh you know keeper makes his best saves not just the ones that are designed to catch attention on camera but uh, you know the ones that are most meaningful and most important to leon uh you know when it's based on instinct my my theory then to you've helped me distill my theory a little bit more then how about disengaging var for for the penalty take so encroachment around the box and goalkeeper stepping off his line has to be spotted by the referee, by the naked eye, 
and pull back. So if it's extravagant, they'll they'll see it and they can pull it back. But otherwise, not go back and look to see if if like a false start in the one hundred meters, if there's a little twitch, or if someone goes just a a tiny five centimeters, which doesn't make any difference. So so disengage, pull the plug on VAR on VAR for when the penalty is taken. Go back to the old style, and 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 it's important to preserve. Because I read an article uh, uh, about a year ago on so many traditions of football and the fact that a penalty in general, a penalty reflects general results in football, which is to say that normally about 70% of the time the penalty taker scores and 30% of the time the goalkeeper can save it. So can save 3 in 10, perhaps. That, maybe that's a little bit more, 2 in 10. Between 2 and 3 in 10, the, the goalkeeper can save. And this is also reflected traditionally over the years in terms of results you can have upset results where a team should win between seven and eight times out of ten paris saint germain versus versus auxerre but maybe two or three times out of ten auxerre will get up and get the win and this this ratio of being between 20 and 30 percent upsets is what keeps it so interesting because it's a and the penalty spot reflects that perfectly so if we're starting to stack things meaning that the favourite always wins. Already football with the amount of money that the big clubs have, like Paris Saint-Germain, that can dominate the French market, the upsets are getting fewer and fewer. And now we're doing the same to the poor old goalkeepers. I don't think it's right. Standing up for the little man. Yep, exactly. But no, Moving I, on. I, I thought you were going to start with the <laughs> VAR there and say phasing out. And I thought, you know, maybe we'll start phasing it out of all the other phases of play as well, slowly and slowly until there's no longer any VAR. But, um... Yeah, some, some I think I think people would I think people wouldn't mind that. I think it's being uh, you know JJ talks about refereeing in France, and I and I know the debate rages there, but I promise you it's the same all over the world yeah, yeah. as well. It's the and, and they're not helped by VAR, I don't think, which makes it which re- reduces everything to this minutest detail and makes it hard to hard to see things. But we have to keep moving. On Saturday. Lance's best ever start to a Ligue 1 season continued. They added to their five wins in a row by making it six. And for the sixth time in 2022, after conceding the opening goal, they came back and won again. So it was uh, an own goal that gave Clermont Foot the lead against Lance at home before Wesley Said and then Seiko Fofana with an astonishing first touch um, made it eight home wins in a row for Lens. On Saturday night, Rennes were looking to make it seven home wins on the bounce. They entertained a former coach in Montagne. He brought his Toulouse side. Bourgeau, who now has five assists and two goals in his last seven, opened the scoring. Dallinger, the Dutchman, equalized with his third of the season for Toulouse before Arno Calimwendo was on hand to pass home the winner after an initial save. The stat for Ren now with that 2-1 win, undefeated in 17 in all competitions. That's their best run since going 22 without defeat in 1988. Next up, the early kickoff for the second week in a row. Paris Saint-Germain taking on Auxerre at the Parc des Princes, this final match before the World Cup. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain looking to make it seven straight wins. They've been drawn against Bayern Munich in the Champions League. When we come back, I remember the last time PSG played Bayern Munich in the snow in Munich. Uh, It was an astonishing, astonishing match a couple of years ago now. But let's catch up with this one. PSG versus Auxerre commentary with Angus Turode. Spaniard looks for the little run and is found by Hakraf Hakimi. That's a lovely ball in and Neymar can't get there. Osara claiming his handball and they've all stopped and they've let the ball come to PSG again. Oh, that's wonderful for Messi. Back in again. And there's the first goal from Kylian Mbappe, who equals his personal best for goals in all competitions in a calendar year with goal number 43. Well, Osara rather fell asleep. They were convinced there was a handball from Neymar in there, which was not given. They have all gone to the referee. There is the touch on the hand of Neymar, and it looks like the goal has been given. Kylian Mbappe then with his 12th goal of the season. Nuno Mendes still going all the way across, and it's in. 
Carlos Soler's second goal in Liga seemed to go in in slow motion even before we see the replays. Well, it's a curious goal, but it's doubled the lead. It's come to Neymar. Sola sprinting. Akraf Hakimi was in his own half when he took that ball. Akraf Hakimi, 3-0. Neymar, the runners are already going three against two in this attack. Could be four, it's off the post. So close. Benoit Costil couldn't do anything about that as Lionel Messi bore down on goal onto that left foot as we know he can shoot it so well through the years. Just the wrong side of the woodwork. Well, given away, Hugo Ekitike spreads it out. Renato Sanchez steps back inside, saved. And Ekitike, no! Renato Sanchez, and finally it's in off the post. Well, how convoluting can you get? But it got there in the end. Second goal of the season for Renato Sanchez. But Hugo Ekitike will be kicking himself that he's not celebrating his first goal for Paris Saint-Germain. Ooh, dangerous. Now, surely, finally, there it is. Hugo Ekitike gets his first goal for Paris Saint-Germain. An absolute gift. Kylian Mbappe is the first to jump on the former Rans forward. Finally gets his maiden goal. Well, it couldn't have gone any better for a Paris Saint-Germain this afternoon. So, Luke, let's uh, go to you first. Kylian Mbappe, 12th goal of the season for him. They turned on the style in the second half. PSG become... Well, they were already the only side ever to have more than 40 points after 15 games. They've done it for a fifth time. Are they just running away with this one now? And we've talked about it before, but could the World Cup be their worst enemy? I thought you were going to turn my uh, my comment from, I believe, a couple of weeks ago about Mbappe being out of form back on me then when, when you first addressed me and then <laughs> began with Mbappe. Um, Honestly, I, I think that match there and how it panned out is just why PSG will win the league this year and why I think it will be so comfortable because it's just, there were so many people coming in and I've been surprised by some of them. I've been really surprised in particular. I mentioned Carlos Soler, sorry, right at the right at the start of the podcast. And I have to admit, I, I didn't see a lot of him whilst he's at Valencia, but I didn't realise he was quite so much of an attacking profile, but he's really added something else. And I'm not saying that he's, he's in line for more minutes, but if he can perform as he did um, on Sunday against those smaller teams, like he has been doing, then that's just a massive plus for plus for for PSG. And I thought he'd be the kind of the Draxler figure that you never see the man, but he's he's doing pretty well. And then there's just other people, you know, you know, putting in good performances against those little sides. I'm quite happy for Ekatike, who it looked like it was all going wrong from there, but he's um, he's managed to get his first goal. Could have had a couple, but set up Renato Sanchez, who won't be going to the World Cup. And you're saying, you know, is this maybe the wrong time? Obviously, so many PSG players will be going to this World Cup, but also quite a few will be staying. And I think that's important as well. Um, obviously, they're the team that is most impacted by this because they have the most internationals. But this year, unlike other years, I think they've got so much depth in their squad and everyone is performing that I think they'll just be able to see it through when they come back despite the incredible scheduling because we said that this was an incredible schedule before the World Cup but it gets even worse for these European sides after so it's going to be a, it's going to be a difficult ride. JJ 12 PSG players going to the World Cup no not Renato, Renato Sanchez but but Carlos Soler is with Spain that shows just how highly he is rated. Were you surprised to see Messi, Neymar, and Kylian in the starting lineup? There was no Marquinhos, we know, for for muscle soreness or or fatigue, and I thought that was going to be the the start of the list of players that were were not going to make the the match day squad. In the end, strong enough. What and and give me a word, JJ. Also, I'm sure you you were present at the Parc des Princes to see the match. So a little a little report on the match, but also looking ahead to Bayern Munich. What do you make of that draw? We knew it was going to be a tough draw. Yeah, I was at the game and uh, I I did expect to see Messi, uh, Neymar and Mbappe feature. Uh, I didn't expect them to play for as long as they did, over an hour, uh, all three of them. 
you know, I think Galtier, uh, you know, certainly handled certain individual cases pretty well, only sent Kimpembe on, uh, you know, towards the end because there had been uh, a lot of speculation as to whether his fitness might fall a little short of what Deschamps wanted, uh, you know, for him in terms of, you know, going to the World Cup with France. But I think as well, uh, you know, obviously the temptation is to talk so much about Mbappe, Neymar, Messi, uh, you know, going to the World Cup and what impact that might have on PSG. But you look at some of the other guys who contributed on the day, uh, you know, and they could all be primed for, you know, pretty impressive World Cup campaigns as well. You know, you have Hakimi back in the goals, got Nuno Mendes chipping in with two assists. Uh, you know, as Luke was uh, was raving about Soleil, you've got him, you know, popping up and uh, and getting a goal as well. So there is kind of like this understated kind of second cast of, uh, of, of PSG players who, you know, could catch the eye as well at the World Cup. I mean, just on that, uh, you know, Mbappe, Messi and Neymar, and uh, the whole potential impact on chemistry. I actually wrote a piece last week and worked out the scenarios with which, uh, you know, we might see the three of them come up against each other. So Mbappe and Messi could meet in the round of 16, depending on whether France or Argentina, you know, win the group or, you know, whether one of them finishes second, uh, you know, and that might pit one of them against Neymar in the semifinals of Brazil, you know, also win their group. Uh, there is another scenario where you can have potentially both Neymar and Messi on the same side of the draw and then Mbappe on the other one, which could pit two of them together in a final. Uh, you know, but it is, it, you know, that there is this scenario perhaps where, you know, what happens at the World Cup ends up coming back and really biting PSG in the second half of the, the campaign. But it, equally, if you look at it with a glass half full, you know, Bayern Munich, I, I always feel that PSG would never benefit from getting what would be classed as a favorable draw in the Champions League. And I think that, you know, coming up against a team like Bayern Munich, obviously one of Europe's top teams, but not necessarily a team that looks infallible this season, uh, that should benefit PSG. But the big question is how fresh those players will be uh, at that time. Let's not forget as well, this is going to be a Bayern team that I think have about two months of winter break. So there could be more mm -hmm. rustiness than anything uh, on their part. Obviously, they've got Sadio Mane who might be battling against coming back from injury. So, you know, there's a lot of unknowns at the moment coming into sort of that after World Cup period. But I think, you know, Galtier played this one as, as well as he could. Uh, I think it was refreshing as well to see such star names not afraid to go out there on the pitch and play well. I mean, Messi, you know, involved, you know, deeply in the build up to that first goal, fantastic ball over. Uh, and, you know, I think as well, you know, you go to the world, going to the World Cup, there is this expectation that Mbappe, Messi, Neymar will be sort of the three main protagonists. And, you know, I do think that there is, you know, the potential that the World Cup, you know, springs a few surprises and maybe it doesn't work out the way that everybody expects it to. I'm not saying that the best case scenario for PSG is that the three of them, you know, drop out uh, earlier than expected. But, um, you know, with these kind of tournaments, especially in such an unknown environment as well, you never know, uh, you know, what might happen. And just fingers crossed that all sort of league and representatives, uh, you know, come back with a clean bill of health for the second half of the season. I thought you were going to tell us that the Socceroos were going to win the World Cup then for a second, JJ. I was no, getting all I'm not, excited. I'm not going to be that charitable, <laughs> unfortunately. I, I think you guys are lucky lucky to be there. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was going for um, maybe uh, Samuel Eto'o would be right and maybe we'll get a, a Morocco-Cameroon in the final. And... Uh, all this Mbappe, Neymar, Messi talk will all, all just fade away and uh, maybe Cameroon lift, lift the World Cup for the first time. Well, it's, it's, it would be good to see an African side go better than the quarterfinals, which remember Ghana in, in 2010, of course, Cameroon back in, in Italia 90 as well. So they have been that far. They need to go one step further. I did see uh, one final comment on PSG versus Bayern Munich that after the World Cup, PSG could play 11 matches uh, with Coupe de France and league matches before taking on Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich will play six. So half as much football. Let's hope that uh, means rust and not fatigue then, JJ. Okay, so Sunday also brought further matches. Strasbourg were looking to bounce back, but uh, they've been looking to bounce back a lot this year. It didn't happen. 1-1 against Lorient. For Lorient, they are... Back into the top five, but only just courtesy of that draw. It is now five matches without a win for them. Terra Moffi, with his 10th goal of the season, though, gave them the lead before Habib Diallo equalised in the 87th minute. It was another entertaining match at the Menno. 
in Strasbourg, but Strasbourg still with just that one win so far this season. There was a tough offside call on Salama, who opened the scoring for Lille, or thought he had, for Angers rather, against Lille, um, before Thiago Jallo headed home the only goal of the game in that one just before half time. There was a red card for Lille. It was a, an easy red card decision this time for Carlos Veleba. Um, and that was a, bit, a little bit tough on him, but Losk held on with their 10 men to make it five without loss at home now for them, a 1 0 victory for Lille. Roman Pito took on Will Still, not the only match this weekend to have two new coaches going at each other. Montpellier versus Reims, it finished 1-1. There were several uh, interesting things about this one that Jonas Omlin made the most remarkable save. Uh, nothing much happened for vast periods of the game and, and it all exploded in the last minutes. In the 88th minute, Munetzi opened the scoring uh, before 20-year-old off the bench, Delay, equalised uh, in the 91st minute for Montpellier. It was his first ever goal. And uh, the stat that counts was that Will Still from Stade de Reims is the first Reims coach ever to go undefeated in his first five games in charge. He could well be the man that uh, they promote to the top job permanently. The second game that had new coaches after Bruno Ehlers was sacked so, saw Claude Robin take charge of Estac against Brest's Bruno Grugy after a scoreless first half. Roman Del Castello's penalty, his fourth of the season, opened the scoring. An own goal from Brendan Chardonnay uh, saw that one back. And then Islam Slimani saw his penalty shot saved but retaken again for encroachment. See good girl at start of program. Steve Mounier came off the bench from injury to get his first goal of the season for Brest, a precious 2-1 victory for them against Bois. Nantes, 16th versus Ajaccio, 17th. And uh, Albon Lafont denied Marchetti a potential goal of the season. Belaili got his third penalty in two games as Ajaxio took the lead. He then provided a great assist for Hamuma before not fought back. Ludovic Blas uh, got one back and then Moses Simon, a very lucky one in the 89th minute, one of those crosses that curls inside the far post without ever getting a touch. Goal number five for Moses Simon. It's time now for Deja Who, our uh, weekly competition for your chance to win a Ligue 1 jersey. Um, we've had two already this month. This is number three, so get your answers in for this one. It's the final one for the month of November. The winner will be announced when we come back after the World Cup. Um, and there will be a second chance to win a jersey in this pod when we talk about Le Bleu heading into the World Cup as well. But this one first, if you think you know the answer, send an email to league1podcast at gmail.com. We've already had two this month. They're all related, so here we go. Who am I? I have played in three different countries and have won the league every single season since 2012-13. As we head into the World Cup break and as I head to Qatar, I'm again leading the league and looking good for an 11th consecutive championship triumph. I've also won various cups in all three countries where I've played, including the Champions League. Who am I and what do I have in common with the other two November Deja Who's. I was going to stop with just, I've won the league every single year since 2012-13, because I don't think there can be too many, um, and with the three countries added in. But there you go. See how you go. If you think you know the answer, who am I and what do I have in common with the other two Deja Who's from this month? They're all available. Go back, download the uh, other two podcasts previous to this one, and send your answers to league1podcast at gmail.com. Our final match of the weekend in Ligue 1 then was Monaco versus Marseille. It was fourth versus five. Monaco in form, Marseille looking to bounce back. And uh, with all the action, it was Armel Tongi. Alexis Sanchez is lovely. It's absolutely brilliant. Alexis Sanchez. And scored for 500 minutes of football in Ligue 1. Opens the scoring here at the Stade Louis Deux in some style. Just two little steps back 
barely any momentum. It's all about the technique. It's curled far too close to the corner for Alexander Nubel to do anything about it. Golovin brings that one down nicely. Over the top towards Diata, who certainly has the pace to beat Balerdi. He's read it well too. Oh, Balerdi's brought Diata down. And Monaco will get a chance to get back on level terms from 12 yards here. No doubt in Benoit Bastia's mind. In the final 30 seconds of the first half, he has a chance to uh, get Monaco back into this one. And he does so with extreme class. With Sam Benyeda, with the Panenka down the middle. Paul Lopez went to his left. Benyeda made no mistake at all. And that makes it Monaco 1, Marseille 1. Golovin in acres of space in the middle there. Into uh, Kevin Folland on goal. And Monaco take the lead. It's Kevin Volland who strikes. You can see Mbemba took a bit of time to get back into position. Monaco played straight down the middle, too much space for Golovin. Kevin Volland, goal side of Leonardo Balerdi, was not going to make a mistake from there. It's only his second league goal of the season, but it could be a very important one. Monaco now ahead against Marseille. And, uh, oh, lovely ball. Tavrez was there, Payet might still be. Veritu gets the shot away, Veritu scores! Slammed into the back of the net off the left boot of Jordan Veritu. And this game is far from over. Well, that's what his game's been lacking this season, Jordan Veritu. Goals. And just before he heads off to Qatar for the World Cup, he's got one. Two all here at the Stade Louis Deux. Bastian, the referee, keeping a close eye on the hustling and bustling in that penalty area. Dimitri Payet into the middle. It's gone in! It's Siad Kolasinac, I think. What a big goal for Marseille. Look at the scenes in the away end. Delirium. In the 97th minute here at the Stade Louis Deux. It may well go down as a Payet goal too. No, there is a touch. Is it Balerdi? It's Badiashil. It's Benoit Badiashil. Who turns it into his own net. Luke, this one is made for you. It's the Southern Derby or one of the Southern Derbies. There were, there were free kicks, there were panenkas, there was maybe a serious injury to Amin Arit, the, the Moroccan schemer for Marseille as well, which is, a, which is a, a painful one to see as well. And then there was a great comeback and goals in the last second from unlikely sources, I think it's fair to say. What did you make of this one? So yeah, this this was actually, I believe, the first game at the Stade Louis de I missed all season. I'm, uh, I'm back in the UK watching, watching the group elite on their little UK tour of facing Manchester United and Arsenal, but obviously I did watch this on the TV for once. And um, it was a great match, I thought. It's a great way to, to finish Ligue 1 before the World Cup. I thought it was a really good advertisement for how entertaining Ligue 1 can be and, and often is, I'd say. Um, it was a really back and forth game. So Marseille was so on top in the first half, uh, should have been more ahead than, than they were, really. There's obviously that Nuno Tavares chance in the opening minutes. Guendouzi had a good chance. Gigo had a good chance. I'm not sure what he was doing popping up in the box at that minute. And then he eventually did get their lead. And then straight away, Monaco, who had looked pretty unthreatening, really get back into the game through a quite a light penalty. Ben Yedder, you know, so calm and composed. I love that paradoxical fact that he's equally the person who scored the most but missed the most penalties in, in the 21st century. It's, it's a great start. I don't really know how that can be, be the case, but it's a good one. And then Monaco came out in the second half with um, with the win in their cells a bit and, and they deservedly went ahead, but it was all in the game management. Towards the end of the game, they just lost control of, of that fixture. Jordan Veritu finished off a, a brilliant week for him after getting his, his call to, to show some really nimble footwork, which I didn't really seem capable of, and then blasting that shot past. And then the late, 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 late drama. I mean, once again, you can maybe talk about the refereeing decision to give the initial free kick, but it was a, a nice little 
link up there between Piet and, and Kolasinac. And it, it's hard to say one side deserved that more than the other. It felt like a draw was quite fair. Both teams were really on top for large parts and then let the game drift. Um, and it's, it's good for Marseille to finish on such a high. For Monaco, that's, that's a disappointed lead to let slip in the final few minutes. And once again for the second year, they're kind of struggling to pierce into that podium, into those European spaces. I think they're sick now. And they're not a million miles off, but yeah, it, it's, a, it's a recurring problem for them. They need to kind of fix that start of season form because once again, they're going to be reliant a little bit on uh, a bit of a comeback in the second half of the season. JJ, it was Marseille's 500th win in all competitions in the 21st century. Jordan Veritu, as uh, Luke just said, celebrating a goal and celebrating a World Cup call-up without having played a minute in bleu so far in 2022. That's a, a bit of a surprise, but surely, JJ, Marseille and Kolosinac would have preferred he scored his header against Tottenham in the last minute than this one in the last minute, wouldn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that this was kind of a, a bit of a redemption goal in many ways, and, and not just for Kalazinac, because let's not forget, you know, Payet had a, a role, uh, a hand in two, the two final goals for, for Marseille, which ended up turning the, turning the game in their favor. So yeah, I guess it was, you know, sort of two of the, two, two, two of the men who, you know, have not necessarily contributed uh, that positively towards Marseille's season so far, uh, you know, coming up uh, big and, and securing an important result, an important result, you know, not just, uh, you know, in how much it's going to impact the, the season and where they sit uh, at this World Cup break, but also potentially Igor Tudor's future as well. Uh, you know, there was suggestions that he might really be on the chopping block. Uh, if Marseille didn't pick up positive results against Lyon and Monaco, they've done that. So you would assume that that you know gives him a, a stay of execution and the chance to continue working with uh, the team on his methods during the break. But uh, you know, I don't think that Marseille you know can be that happy with the way that things have gone over the over the last couple of uh, weeks. You know, to drop out of Europe entirely hugely disappointing. Uh, you know, but to to not drop out of the the European places in Ligue 1, I think was probably the minimum expected after uh, you know such uh, such disappointment on the on the continental front. But it was, uh, you know, was was highly dramatic. Uh, personally, I mean, obviously as a Villa fan, Veratu spent a bit of time at Villa Park. Uh, I'm I'm happy to see him get the uh, get the recognition at international level. He's a player I always liked when he came through at Nantes and then had that uh, sojourn with. Um, Roma as well, but um, I think mm. you know that that's... Fiorentina as well was he at Fiorentina? Yeah, he had uh, had some time also, at Fiorentina yeah. as well, and I think you know Deschamps recognizes that he has quite a versatile profile. Uh, you know, the fact that he hasn't been called up internationally suggests that he's probably going to be one of those fringe players who can be called upon if there's uh, you know a crisis in midfield or he needs being, to be deployed elsewhere. But uh, you know, I don't think you know. His selection uh, in isolation, uh, you know, is, is is that baffling because I think we forget sometimes, especially because it's been quite a tricky start to life uh, for him at Stad Villadrome, that he is actually a very accomplished player and can play in quite a few different positions. I wonder if Steven and Zonzi had played much before 2018 as well. He might have been Deschamps' little surprise uh, call up four years ago too. We are going to talk Les Bleus coming up, but before a quick look at the ladder before we head off on to the break, then PSG five points clear of Lens, who are five points clear of Rennes. Then it starts getting into traffic. Rennes, Marseille, Lorient, Monaco and Lille down in seventh place, all in the hunt for those European places. Lyon have to turn it around sooner rather than later after two without a win. They're in eighth place and they're keeping company with Nice and Clermont. Reims are just, I think, along with Toulouse on 16 points. And then the bottom seven are all covered from Troyes down to Angers in 20th place by six points. Troyes, Montpellier, Nantes, Brest. And then in the relegation zone at the moment, but on the same number of points as Nantes and Brest and only one behind Troyes and Montpellier, we have Auxerre, then Ajaccio, then Strasbourg and Angers bringing up the rear with just Eight points. So it's time to look ahead now to the World Cup with our two French journalists and, and experts. I'm going to start with the second quiz of the day. So this one's for people to write in. Name your France st starting 11 for the opening match of the World Cup against Australia. 
predict the score and the first scorer, but that's just uh, just in case we have tied people who predict the same number of players in the starting 11 to win your shirt. The closest starting 11 will win the league and jersey when we come back after the World Cup at the end of December. Send your starting 11s into league1podcast at gmail.com. And uh, gentlemen, to you two then, let's go starting 11 as well, or just form and that squad. We know probably the first thing to say, which wasn't the case earlier today, that France's squad is now 26 players strong by the looks of things. Marcus Turam at this time of recording is uh, being highly and widely tipped as becoming the uh, 26th man in that squad, which wasn't initially announced. Perhaps, JJ, you had a theory that Mike Mignon was giving, given every chance to prove his fitness and maybe come in as a fourth keeper or they can still change it, mind you. I think Didier Deschamps and all coaches, not only Didier Deschamps, all World Cup coaches can change their squad um, before 24 hours, before their opening game of the tournament. That's always been the case as well. There's nothing new in that one. So, gentlemen, we've seen eight central defenders called up to the squad. It looks like a switch back to the 4-3-3 or the lopsided 4-3-3 that was so uh, effective in in Russia, perhaps Rabio is the new Blaise Matuidi who can play that more defensive role on the left, and then we'll see what happens further up. But are we looking? Let's go through it position by position. I think we all agree that Hugo Loris is going to be in goal now, particularly with Menyo not there. Okay, no debate. Fullbacks, right back, JJ, very quickly. For me, I think this is going to be one of Benjamin Pavard or Jules Koundé. Uh, I, I don't understand Deschamps' insistence that Koundé can play right back, but it's something that he's persevered with in the past. Uh, but a lot of it, is certainly for the opening game, is going to depend on the fitness of not just Rafael Varane, but Presnel Kimpembe. And Karim Benzema as well, maybe up front in terms of, in terms of fitness. In the middle, Luke, what are you expecting? Varane Kimpembe, or it really does depend on who's fit? Yeah, I'm not seeing Kimpembe start the first game, at least. Uh, I think that Varane will, uh, and maybe maybe alongside William Sleeper, though, I think it's really open. I think that any centre-back within that squad currently can be looking and thinking, yeah, I've got a chance of making that first game. So, yeah, I think it's going to be Varane and A another. might be Kimpembe, but could honestly be anyone. Lucas Hernandez at left back, JJ. There can't be too much debate there, I don't think, at the moment, is there? No, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Teo Hernandez really comes into his own if France were to go for a, a 3 4 3. But now with no Jonathan Close there, you know, there's no obvious candidate mm. to, to, to play on the, on the right hand side. We've seen Cohen do it in the past, but I'm not sure that Deschamps is going to, uh, you know, perhaps go with that straight from the off in the, in the tournament. So, yeah, I think uh, Lucas Hernandez is. Uh, is 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 a good enough uh, is a good enough shout for that starting left back role in midfield? Luke, I think uh, Chuameni is almost uh, a certainty, but you know there is Kamavinga, who's a youngster. I mean, he's always going to be a youngster for a few more years as well. He's such a talent. Yusuf Fofana, the bolter, can he be in there? Adrian Rabio, who's who's had a remarkable story in Blue, considering four years ago he refused to be a in the reserves and said you can stick your world cup where wherever you like didier and and stormed out now he's back and he's been brilliant with juventus so far well in the last two months especially as juventus have charged back up the syria standings who are your three if we're going with a a 4-3-3 or a 4-3-1-2 who are your three in midfield yeah i mean yeah i think it'll be a 4-3-3 and you you mentioned there too many for Fana. That's obviously the old Monaco link up, and they've not played with each other for a, for a few months now, but they're used to each other. So I think that it's an incredible story for Fana, who basically dropped out of football as a youngster and, and came back in and only just burst into the squad in the final international break. I think he'll be in there. I think he'll be alongside too many because there's the natural link up. And as you say, Rabio, uh, I'm not his biggest fan, but he's been great at the Juventus this season. So I think on, on merit, I think you could say that he deserves to to start in that midfield. JJ, no place for the villain in that uh, midfield? No, not quite just yet, although I don't think he'd necessarily look uh, you know, that out of place given that uh, you know France won't be going up against their most difficult opponents in the group stage with all uh, due respect to the to the Aussies for that opener. Uh, one, Just one, one interesting thing on uh, that. I was lucky enough to speak to Monaco's Paul Mitchell um, last week and, you know, the pride uh, that, that he had in his voice when speaking of Fafana, his development, 
uh, you know, being able to make his way into the World Cup squad and not just for Fano, you know, also Chuameni as well. You know, obviously this is a huge achievement, uh, you know, for Monaco to contribute two potentially key parts uh, of this French, uh, you know, midfield to the to the World Cup cause. Uh, you know, that's uh, something that Monaco are really, really satisfied with. You know, obviously we know that they have managed to carve out not not a niche for themselves, but this position as one of the leading clubs in Europe in terms of talent development. So, you know, to hear him talking a little bit more in depth about Fofana in particular uh, and the, you know, the the pride within, uh, you know, Monaco, the the, the club at his development, uh, you know, was uh, was really nice. And fingers crossed, you know, he does get to see a lot of the pitch because I think when you look at the midfield, you understand just how important uh, you know, the, the duo of Paul Pogba and N'Golo Conte has been over the last couple of years because you take them out of that midfield and suddenly Rabio is by far and away the most experienced member uh, of the middle of the, the field there. Up front, then we have the three. I think uh, if all things being equal, you know, there's Griezmann, Kylian Mbappe and Karim Benzema. It's a, it's a frightful three for opposition when you consider that Kingsley Coman, uh, Christopher Nkunku, Usman Dembele, uh, uh, Olivier Giroud are not making this squad. Can there be changes to that front three, Luke? Um, I don't think there will be, but I'm a huge Olivier Giroud fan. Uh, I'm a Chelsea fan, and uh, even though he's kind of very much an off the bench <laughs> presence, um, you know, I saw him more often sat, sat on the bench than on the pitch. I love watching him play. He's really been absolutely brilliant at AC Milan, um, and for me, he starts. Though I'm sure for Didier Deschamps, he he will not. You can't bench the Ballon d'Or winner, but. Um, yeah, I'm a big Olivier Giroud fan. And what I like about Giroud in particular is just how he does get the best out of absolutely everybody around him. And I'd say that thus far, Benzema and Mbappe haven't quite struck up that that kind of um, relationship that really, really works. But they'll have time to do it in the group stages. Maybe when Kylian, if ever he goes to Real Madrid, he can and carry him still going. But uh, <laughs> JJ, um I wanted to ask you one more thing. We, I spoke very briefly about Adrian Rabiot's amazing story, but talk about turnarounds. Karim Benzema, to come back in blue now, to, to yes, to, to win the Champions League, but to, to, to win trophies with the French national team. We saw what it meant to him just with the Nations League. I mean, how, how important that was for him. Now this possibility to, to play in the World Cup with one of the favourites and, and any team with Karim Benzema in the form he was in last year, has has got to be in there. That's an amazing turnaround as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It is. And I, I think as well, you know, Benzema, what's really impressed me about Benzema in the last couple of years is basically since he hit 30, uh, you know, he, he woke up, uh, you know, he realized, uh, you know, how he needed to take care of himself, you know, really in terms of being an athlete to get the best out of his ability, you know, to actually make a, a success of the final sort of not necessarily twilight years of his career, but the latter stage uh, of, of his career. And I think he's now well and truly on top of that. It wouldn't surprise me if he does a bit of sort of self-management of, of his own body, his own capabilities during this group stage. But I don't think that if he doesn't feel 100% fit, uh, you know, that the, the Deschamps will start him. Uh, and I think he would also be keen not to try and rush himself back onto the pitch. Uh, you know, I think he knows, uh, you know, based on his form over the last 12 to 18 months, that Deschamps will put him in if and when he's ready and that he does still potentially have a talismanic role to play with this team. I mean, I think the the beauty of bringing somebody like Giroud as well is that you immediately have that rapport between him and Griezmann, two of the most experienced members of the squad, if Benzema is to, to sit out. But then you also have this fantastic wildcard option of uh, Christopher Nkunku as well, who's in phenomenal form in the Bundesliga, who can also step in and completely change the dynamic in that front three. So for me, I think that Benzema is somebody who could perhaps be sort of like a slow burner in this tournament, maybe not feature too much at the beginning, uh, you know, maybe come in and, and play a, a, a role sort of midway through the, the second group stage game and maybe have an important thing to say uh, in the in the final match. But really, for him, I think his impact is probably going to be measured mainly in what happens in the in, in the knockout phase. And, uh, you know, I think as well, this is certainly now Benzema's time to deliver. We've seen him have real high moments with the French national team, like the qualification for the 2014 World Cup. But as somebody who was at Stade de France that night, you know, it feels a lifetime ago now, uh, you know, and we know what Karim Benzema can do, what he's capable of. 
uh, you know, just fingers crossed we get to see a bit of that at, at one of the big international tournaments with Libre. Time to put the money where the mouth is. France versus Australia. Score, Luke. <laughs> Sorry, Robbie. 3-0 France. <laughs> Jonathan. 2-0 <laughs> France. You don't have to apologise. <laughs> Two 0 Thank you, John. I'm, I'm not going to. You can come back. You can come back on the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think France. Well, who knows if 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 it's France 2002 or France 2010 after a, a World Cup final, perhaps the uh, the Socceroos can jag a penalty, and we'll see what happens. France, Denmark, JJ. One one. Yeah. One one. You can say the same. Yeah. One one. Okay. Interesting. So. The classic slow French starters, maybe in this in this group stage, and then Tunisia, Luke, four nil. Okay, so the Australians did better than Tunisia. That's uh, that's reassuring. That's for a chance to jag second place in the group. <laughs> exactly, you can come back on. JJ, three one to France. Three one. Okay, and then without going through second round, quarterfinals, semifinals, who? What do you think? And it may not include France, but what do you think will be the World Cup final and ultimate champion? JJ, ah, oh, that's uh, that's a lot of pressure. Well, no, I, just champion then, not the final. Just oh, the no, champion. I mean, Who do you think is going to win it? Funnily enough, going all the way to the final, I have a really funny feeling about the Dutch under Louis van Gaal. Um, hmm. I'm not going to put them out there as potential winners, but I, I've just got a feeling they're going to have uh, quite a deep run. Overall, though, I think it will be PSG's Lionel Messi celebrating at the end with the World Cup title that he's coveted for so long. Okay, to go with the Copper America, one that he just got his hands on. Luke? I'd like that as the story, but I fancy Brazil so much, uh, like France, so much attacking firepower in that in that starting lineup and uh, centre backs. Just it, it's all over the pitch, but their centre back partnership and their attack, I just think they've got so much. Uh, for me, definitely the favourites on paper. I think it could be a side wearing green and gold as well, Luke. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on. That's it for us for the next few weeks. We'll be back uh, very late December to preview all the Liga action when it returns. Don't forget those two quizzes or, well, one quiz question and then your starting 11s for France v Australia in the World Cup for your chance to win a Liga and jersey. JJ, Luke, thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Messi again, this time maybe Messi's done it!